You know, um, most of you uh, who know me know that my, my daughter, uh, her name is Grace, and I would be lying if, you know, me and Jenna sat down after some spiritual revelation and said we're going to name our child, you know, Grace, if it was some product of spirituality. On our part, I didn't get it out of a fortune cookie. Uh, you know, we prayed about it, and we were bouncing over names, as you know, uh, everybody does, and uh, we just said hey, during, you know, Jenna's pregnancy, as things would come up, you know, she would start to feel sick, you know, we were doing the move, uh, the house, the basement flooded and everything, you know, it almost became a, like a running joke, like tongue-in-cheek uh, joke that this is why we're naming our child Grace, uh, and uh, as we were setting up the nursery, uh, at some point, Jenna got a frame, and it has the word grace, and it's got the definition of grace from the, Noah's, uh, the Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary. And it was supposed to you know, be this beautiful thing that went over Grace's crib when we set up the nursery, but the guy that was supposed to set it up never got around to it. I don't know what happened. And it ended up where it sits now on um, the council in our living room facing the door. So when you walk in, you, know, you see this, uh, this picture. And I actually like it there. I'm, I'm happy that it's there because every day... When I walk through that door, could be a could be a long day of work, but I hear the voices of my house. Thank God for the job that I have. Thank God for the house that I have. You know, truth be told, the dog greets me first, and I see you know my daughter. Amen, Danny. See my daughter. I see Jenna, and I'm just so thankful. And I look in front of me, and there it is, Grace, the free unmerited love and favor of God. And uh, you're in 2 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to talk about God's grace here this morning. 2 Peter chapter 3, starting verses 1 through 4. Bible says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Peter's warning the children of God that there's going to come a time in the last days where we're going to see people that are going to be saying, Listen, the world's going on the way it's gone on from the beginning. Where is Christ? Where is his coming? What do we got to be worried about? Let's just continue in sin. And as we look around the world ourselves, we know Jesus Christ is coming back soon. We see the way that the world lives, the lifestyle, just the rampant sin, the pride of it. And what do people do? It's the Bible talks about it as as it was in the days of Noah. Right. So shall it be in the days of son of man that people are just going to be. Hey, let's just keep living in sin. Everything's fine. And so Peter warns the children of God. And he warns them not to get caught up in all that, as the chapter goes on, not to get caught up in false doctrine, because we know that day is approaching soon, where God is going to thankfully call us up first, but he's going to judge this world. And this is the charge that he gives in 2 Peter 3, go down to the end of the chapter, in verse 18. Don't get caught up in all that, don't get dissuaded, stay steadfast, and he says in verse 18, but grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So today I want to talk to you as we agree that we're in those last days, that we see the Lord is coming soon. He says, I come quickly. We know he's coming soon. And so let's take Peter's charge here 
And let's ask ourselves, are we growing in grace and are we growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for this day and for just the traveling mercies to get here, the strength to get up in the morning, Lord, and I thank you that it's all because of your grace, Lord. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you uh, died on the cross for my sins. Lord, I thank you for uh, just raising me in a a Christian home, Lord. Lord, I uh, pray that you would just uh, speak to your people this morning. Just remove me out of the way, Lord. Just speak to us, Lord. Teach us, Lord. Help us to love you better, Lord, because you're so worthy of our love and everything that we have. And ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So it says in verse 18, but grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're going to see, God willing, as we get through this message this morning, that you really can't grow in grace without growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to start, we're going to see that. But before we get into how we can grow in grace and, and what that means, you know, the Bible says, you don't have to turn there, but in 1 Peter chapter 2, It says in verse 2, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. I'm thankful that to get saved, the plan of salvation is very simple. You just got to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made on Calvary in your place. And at the age of five, I was able to understand the gospel and get saved. Simple. Doesn't need to be anything more than that. But if you want to grow in Jesus Christ, because too many Christians stop there, if you want to grow in Jesus Christ, you got to go a step further. You got to get in God's Word. And that's how we start to grow. And so if you've tasted that the Lord is gracious, are you saved here this morning? And you've tasted that the Lord is gracious, we got to grow in His Word. And so we're going to spend a little time here just learning exactly what is, when we talk about the grace of God. What is the grace of God? Because when we finally understand the grace of God and how it applies to our lives, that's when we can start to learn how to grow in it. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 6. As you study your Bible, one of the principles of studying your Bible is if you want to learn the definition of a word and what it means, it helps to go back and see its first mention. In Genesis chapter 6, we see the first mention of the word grace in your Bible. And it's no coincidence that it comes in the days of Noah. Genesis chapter 6, and when you get there, get down to, uh, to verse 5 with me. The Bible says in verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God sees this wicked world and he says, I'm gonna destroy it. I'm gonna destroy it. There's nothing good here. He grieved him at his heart, the sin that man had had ended up in. But he says in verse eight that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found God's favor. And you're gonna see that phrase a lot if you study your Old Testament Especially that phrase of grace in the eyes of somebody, either God looking at somebody or somebody else looking at somebody and that person finding grace in that other person's sight. It's because that person didn't deserve it. There was no obligation on the person's behalf that was showing grace. It was just free. It was unmerited. And as God looked down at Noah, it said in verse 9, these are the generations of Noah, that Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. 
And so God showed favor to Noah. He saw this man. He said, you know what? I'm going to show this man some grace. I'm going to give this man an opportunity to trust me. I'm going to show him a way of salvation. And if he does what I tell him to do, I'm going to save him. I'm going to save his family. And I'm going to use his life as a testimony to the evil world around him that whoever does what he's doing, they can be saved as well. What a picture. What a picture Noah's life. And why was it? God just showed grace. God showed grace to Noah. Now turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3 because we know that since Noah, God made a promise to Abraham that he would make him a father of many nations. And after Abraham, we get Moses. And by Moses comes the law. And if we know anything about the law, it's that there is no way that you can be justified by the works of the law. The law's purpose is to show us how far fallen we are from the grace of God. To show us how unworthy and undeserving of his love we are. Doesn't feel good to say it. Doesn't sound good to say it. It's not a feel-good message, the uh, the, the law. But let's see in Romans chapter 3 what the Bible says in verse 19. It says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. See, God put the law there. The Bible says that the scriptures have concluded all under sin to let you and I put us on notice of just how sinful we are at the standard of a holy God. That in our own works, we could never obtain to God's standard, to make our our own righteousness. There's no way you could do it. There's no way anybody could keep the whole law. But thank God that God never intended for the law to be permanent. The law, the Bible says, was a schoolmaster, a teacher, to bring us to Christ. Because when you and I understand that nothing I can do can earn the favor of God, well, now I'm ready for a savior. The Bible says, uh, uh, Jesus would say, That they that are whole need no need of physician. The gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ dying on the cross in my place, that doesn't do any good for me if I don't believe that I'm a sinner. And so that was the purpose of the law, to show you and I that we were sinners, so that God's grace could enter in. And now turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We're just laying the foundation. We're almost there. Ephesians chapter 2. It's important that we get this. Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 8 and 9, familiar verses, familiar verses. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. The Bible says here, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God put the law there. God said that you're a sinner. He said, but I'm going to save you by my grace. And now let's break it down here. It says in Ephesians 2 verse 8, by grace are ye saved. Through what? Faith. Faith. But now who, who, whose faith are we talking about here? Whose faith are we talking about here? Because the next word says, in that, referring back to the faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not your faith. But hold on, hold on. You say that if I sh- thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved, right? Don't I have to believe in Jesus Christ to be saved? Don't I need to do that? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. But turn with me to Galatians, one chapter over. Book Galatians, chapter 2. 
verse 16. It's a key verse, key verse, key doctrine here in your Bible when we understand how we get God's grace. When we understand how we get God's grace. Yeah, I got to put my faith in Jesus Christ. But what's that faith he's talking about, that gift that he's freely giving? Ephesians, uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Verse 16, the Bible says this. It says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, we saw that, but by the faith of, by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ. That we might be justified by the faith, here it is again, of Christ, and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. I got to put my faith in Jesus Christ, but you know what saves me? It's the faith of Christ. Just like if you're going to sit down in a chair, right? That chair doesn't do anything good for you unless you actually sit in it, right? That's your faith. You're in Jesus Christ, right? But what's holding you up isn't you at that point. It's Jesus Christ. That's what we talk about when we say the faith of Jesus Christ. By grace are ye saved through faith. It's the faith of Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3. We're going to bring this home and then we're going to look at how we can grow in grace. But let's get this down right Let's get this down right back to Romans chapter 3. You were there before. And let's look, look at the next couple of verses. So we can get an appreciation of the faith of Jesus Christ that saves us. In Romans chapter 3, it says now in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, Unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation. That means he took your place, he was your atonement, a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness, not mine, for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus Christ. Wow. I know we just read a lot of verses, but let's get this down. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. And it's the faith of Jesus Christ that saves you. It's his redemption. It's his blood. It's his righteousness. The Bible says that Jesus Christ fulfilled all the righteousness in the law. He fulfilled it all. Nobody else could do it. It was him that did it. And you know that he did it way back at the beginning. Him, God, the Holy Spirit, they got together way before, way before they even made man. The Bible talks about it being foredained from the foundation of the world. That's, that's, the, that's how worthy the lamb is, from the foundation of the world. That means that Jesus Christ, God, and the Holy Spirit, before they made man to rebuild the kingdom that was lost because of the fall of Satan, he said, we're going to make man in our image. But I know he's going to sin. He's going to mess up. And he's gonna, Adam's going to bring sin into this world. And unchecked, that sin, the Bible says, when sin is finished, bringeth forth death. And everything, this plan of replenishing the earth, this plan of rebuilding our kingdom, it's all going to be for naught because Adam's going to mess it up. And left unchecked, it's just going to all go down the drain. And so Jesus raised his hand. He said, here am I. He said, send me. He said, give me the heathen. For an inheritance. The Bible says that in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus Christ said, I know Adam's going to mess up and bring sin into the world. And, he's, and death's going to come by sin. And so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to taste death for every man. 
and I'll become a man. I'll humble myself. I'll fulfill the righteousness of the law. I'll take the beating. I'll take the whipping. I'll take the nails in my hand. I'll take the crown of thorns on my brow. I'll take the spear in my side. I'll bleed out and I'll do it all for them. And when the worst part comes, when it gets really dark on that cross, and I become so black with the sin that I'm taking on for them that you have to turn your face away, it's okay, God, I can take it. I'm going to endure because I'll be thinking about them. I'll be thinking about Mike Colleen. I'll be thinking about Matt Mayetta. I'll be thinking about Danny Colon. I'll be thinking about Eleanor. I'll be thinking about Patty. I'll be thinking about Mary. I'll be thinking about everybody in this room who's trusted Jesus Christ. You are his joy. And I'll endure that cross. I'll despise the shame. And I'll take those sins down to hell. But I'll come back. I'll come back. I'll present myself to you, God. And you'll be pleased with my perfect sacrifice. And then I'm going to sit down on your right hand. And to as many as receive me, to them I'm going to give power to become the sons of God. That's how I'm going to rebuild this kingdom. And I'll deliver it back up to you. That's how we're going to do it. Washed in my own blood. That's the faith of Christ. That's what you're putting your trust in. That's what you've trusted your soul in. No other religion teaches this. No religion, no matter what it is, no creed, no ethos, nothing teaches this. That God, the one that created you, became a man and took your place and did all this for you just out of love. And that is how I get God's grace. By Jesus Christ. By Jesus Christ. And you say, well, why do we go through this this morning? Because when I finally come to terms with how completely dependent I needed to be on God for my salvation, how I was just completely not a part of that, all I had to do was trust it. Well, when Peter says now to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you know what I need to do? I need to think about Jesus Christ, and I need to let him just come in and just start making me grow into the man that he wants me to be. It needs to be all about him. That's how I grow in grace. That's how I grow in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so let's see three things. I want to give you three things this morning on how we can actually grow in grace. Turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Actually, before you go there, before you go there, getting ahead of myself here. Let me get my notes out here. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. It's the first thing we need to do. If you want to grow in grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. This is where we got to start. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, he says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. The first thing you got to do if you want to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ is you got to humble yourself. You got to humble yourself. Just like you had to humble yourself to get saved, you had to recognize it wasn't your righteousness, it was all him. Well, if you want to grow in Jesus Christ, you got to come the same way. Got to humble yourself. We got to get down. Humble yourself. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. 
Because the principle here is if it's all about Jesus Christ, it's not about me. It's got to be him working inward out. It's got to be inward out. If it's just me on the outside, I'm doing it myself again. Philippians chapter 2. This is where we got to start. Humility. Humility. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy. Fulfill ye my joy. That ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Notice we start here, he says, fulfill ye my joy. Now remember, he said that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, right? Well, why don't we actually make it worth it to God and follow what he says here? It says in verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He doesn't ask you to do anything that he hasn't already done. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The very first thing that Jesus Christ did is he humbled himself. He humbled himself. You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, you don't have to turn there, 8, 9, it says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes... He became poor, that ye, through his poverty, might be rich. He humbled himself. That was the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where he wants us to start, with humility. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Go down to verse 12. The Bible says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's working it out. It's not your outward works. It's Jesus Christ working through you. But he can't even start that if you haven't humbled yourself. He he can't even start that process if you and I don't just come to an end of ourselves. Next page over, Philippians chapter 3. This is a beautiful example of what that looks like. What does this mean when we're saying to humble ourselves, right? Talking about Paul here, all right? Paul was a zealous Pharisee, all right? Before on the road to Damascus, before his conversion, in Philippians chapter 3, the Bible says in verse, uh, verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, is touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the, tru- tru- the church, and touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. This is basically Paul reading his resume, his cover letter, his CV, everything. He's showing it. This is, this, this is who I was. And this is what he says in verse 7. He says, he says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Those I counted loss for Christ. Now look at this. He says this in the past tense, all right? Those things that were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. On the road to Damascus, when Paul encountered Jesus Christ, he asked him two questions. He says, who art thou, Lord, and what will you have me to do? That's it. Because when he saw God, he humbled himself. And he came to an end of all that stuff that he was doing. He didn't keep going and persecuting the church and living as a Pharisee. He switched. He became saved and he went on to serve God. That's what he did. And that's verse 7, all right? But now look in verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count. This is present tense now. 
all right, present tense, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do, present tense, count them but dung that I may win Christ. Paul's no longer talking about his salvation. He's talking about his growth in Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying here is he's saying that I want to get the knowledge of Christ Jesus, but in order to get there, I got to keep counting that stuff. I got to put that stuff down. I got to keep counting that stuff as lost. It can't be of me. It's got to be of him. In verse 9, he says, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Paul saying, I want to know Jesus Christ. I want to get to know him better. And is there any part of you that wants to get to know Jesus Christ better? When we talk about growing in grace and growing the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, any part of you that just wants to do that? Well, Paul wanted that too, but I see that before, in order to do that, Paul recognized that he needed to count all those things but loss. He had to die. He had to die. His pride needed to be laid aside. And if you and I want to grow, we got to do the same thing. We got to do the same thing. Now turn back to uh, the book of Galatians. Back to the book of Galatians. Because there's a flip side to this coin here. Because when I don't do that, not only am I not bringing any glory to God, Not only is nothing I'm doing for God going to be worth anything, because it's just going to be of myself. But Galatians chapter 2 teaches us that when I live in my own righteousness, even as a Christian, I start to make the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for me on the cross, I start to take that in vain. I start to take that in vain. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, the Bible says, For I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith, here it is again, of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, right? Familiar verse. The life that I have now, it's all because of Jesus Christ. It's all because of him. I owe it all back to him. But now let's, let's look back at now at verse 21, the next verse. Paul says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Now, if you're trying to come to Jesus Christ this morning by your own works so that one day you could show up to God and say, God, look what I did. I I deserve to enter into your presence. I deserve your salvation because look at how good I was. You think God is going to weigh a scale? That's not how it's going to work because God's just going to look at Jesus Christ. And if he doesn't see Jesus Christ when he's looking at you, if he doesn't see that salvation, you're not walking into heaven. That's just plain and simple. And if you try to do that, the Bible says you're frustrating the grace of God. You're trying to do it in your own righteousness. If that's the case, then why did I send my son to do all these things for you? All the things we just talked about, about the faith of God, the faith of Christ, all the things that he did in your place. You try to come to Jesus Christ on your own, that means that all that stuff wasn't worth anything. And that's what you're telling God. That's what you're saying to God. You say, God, I see all that. That's great, but that's not for me. That's not for me. Take this instead, my works instead. It's even better than what you did. Imagine how God feels. You know, one of the commandments that God gave to the children of Israel, one of the Ten Commandments, is not to take the name of the Lord God in vain. Well, how do you think he feels when you take the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in vain? 
What do you think he feels about that when he looks at his son had bled out and you're just saying, not for me, God, not for me, not enough. Wow, wow. But this verse is also in the book of Galatians where Paul is sorting out some things with the doctrine of the church of Galatia where you had some people like Peter, James, and John were sending some of the Jews were coming over and trying to convince these Gentiles that were saved by faith, right? Just how you and I are saved by faith that they needed to do a little bit more. They needed to add some works of the law. And so Paul had to straighten some of those things out. And he says in verse three of Galatians chapter three, he says, are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? You're not adding things to the work of God. It's finished, what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. But you and I, if we start building on ourselves rather than humbling ourselves and letting God be the one that's working, you know what we're doing? We're doing like they were doing here. And we're no better than the person that's trying to come to God by their own righteousness. If I'm just living by whatever I think is good for God and I'm not coming and humbling myself to Jesus Christ first, then I'm saying, you know what, God, I know that this provision, all these things you've given me in your word and this example that you've set before me, Jesus Christ, I know all these things, but I'm just going to do it my own way. I want to please you that way, God. And thankfully, the grace of God, your sins are forgiven. Got nothing to do with your salvation, but is anything going to be worth it when you see him one day? When you see him at that judgment seat? Are you going to stand before God and read him a list of things and say, oh, look, God, look, I think this was enough for that crown of righteousness, if we take some of these things that I did here and we put it over here, I think that's enough for the crown of rejoicing. How can we figure this out? All these rewards that are due me, God, or are you going to come to God and you're just going to throw the crown back at his feet if you get one and say, God, thank you. God, thank you because I know who I was and I'm not the man that I am today because of what you did for me, because of what you did for me in my life. We got to be careful about that. We got to be careful about that, that it's not our righteousness, that it's always, it's always Jesus Christ working through us. Turn to uh, the book of Luke, actually. Luke chapter 18. Turn to the book of Luke chapter 18. I don't want to take God's provision in vain this morning, not just my salvation, but also just what am I building on this morning? Am I humbling myself? And is it of him or is it just me and, and, and my works? I don't want that to be the case. And in Luke chapter 18, 9, verse 14, this is why, this is why legalism just makes God sick. Because in Luke chapter 18, verse 9, he says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Now, what's the problem here? What's the problem here? This Pharisee said that he fasted twice a week. Well, fasting's a good thing. Jesus said, when you fast, right? Fasting, not, nothing wrong with fasting. Fasting's a good thing. I give tithes of all that I possess. He gave it all, it sounds like. Let's take his word for it. Let's say that he actually did what he said that he did. I give tithes of all that I possess. I mean, didn't Jesus Christ look at that widow who gave the two mites? And didn't he praise her because she gave of everything that she had? 
And so if giving everything that I have and all these things of Pharisee, if these are good things that God has praised in other contexts, then what's wrong with the Pharisee here? The problem is that it's not about the work. It's not about the action. It's about the actor. It's about the heart of the person who's doing it. And that's what this tells us in Luke chapter 18. It's not about how many tracts you hand out. It's not about how many messages you preach. Not about how many hours a day you spend in the word and you spend in prayer. It's not about any of those things. Because if you haven't humbled yourself, and if God's not the one that's actually doing the work in you, right? The Bible says working out your salvation. If that's not what's going on, well, then you know what? It's not worth anything to God. Not worth anything to God. It makes God sick. It makes God sick. And so if we're going to learn to grow in grace, we've got to humble ourselves. We've got to come to an end of ourselves. Next thing we've got to do in Romans chapter 6, turn to Romans chapter 6. Next thing we've got to do in Romans chapter 6 is we've got to stay clean. We've got to stay clean. And I tried to, uh, to alliterate these points, and it, it didn't happen. So if you know an English teacher, if an English teacher was preaching this message, they'd probably be able to alliterate these points. But you've got to humble yourself, and you've got you to stay clean here. Got to stay clean here in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. The Bible says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? God's saying, are we going to continue in sin even though grace is greater than all of our sins. I'm saved by grace. Thanks God. He's removed my sins as far as the east is from the west. But can I ever bring any glory? Is the grace of God going to abound in my life if I continue in sin? The Bible says, God forbid. God forbid. Go down to verse 9. It says, Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. The grace of God saved you from your sin, and now as a Christian, if you want the grace of God to work in your life, you got to stay clean from that sin. The Bible says to flee also from youthful lust. Why? Because God's not going to be able to get in and work with you if you're still filled with your own sin. Just like you got to humble yourself, get your pride out of the way. Well, you're not going to be able to do anything for God if you're still living in your sin. The Bible says that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, right? But grace isn't going to abound in my Christian life and my growth if I'm still living in sin. Look at the uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, Starting in verse 4. Starting in verse 4, it says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You'll never be able to be subject to the will of God if you're still living in your flesh. You're still living in your sin. 
And you and I, we're two-thirds saved. We're always going to have this flesh. Until we go home to heaven, we got to deal with this flesh. And it is a daily battle that we have to deal with. A daily battle. Paul said that I die daily. No one here is above this. I got to die daily. You got to die daily. But if we don't deal honestly with the sin in our lives, and truth be told, as you continue to grow in grace, it will get easier, get easier to flee those youthful lusts, to get victory over those sin, because you'll have more of the power of God working inside you. But especially at the beginning, if you're just starting to walk in your Christian life, you got to get that stuff out because that sin is going to keep you from getting closer to Jesus Christ, right? But the Bible says in Matthew chapter six, you cannot serve God and mammon. No man can serve two masters. So don't fool yourself to think that, all right, I'm humble. I'm going to serve God. If you haven't been dealing with your sin, it's not going to happen. And you're going to just start walking through your life and thinking you're building on something and realizing oh, what's, what's happening. I don't see any growth. I don't see any fruit. Why? Because you got too many thorns in your garden. And so you got to start dealing honestly with your sin. You got to stop, start serving and yielding yourself to God and let him work. You got to make some room for God to work in you. Is that making sense here this morning? Making sense? So you got to humble yourself. Got to deal with that sin. You know, we were talking at the, uh, at the rescue mission. You know, we have the rescue mission in, in Asbury Park. We have it in, in Morristown. And when we, one of the things we try to, you know, show these guys, it's great that they've separated themselves. When these guys get into the, the mission and everything, they've separated themselves. They hand in their phone. I mean, they are just totally, they're in the word. They have a, a program that they get them through. They get messages preached to them and everything. I mean, they're, they're in a good spot at that, at that mission. They're kind of in a bubble, right? So they can start getting their lives back on track and, and everything. But the, the mark of the mature Christian is not so that you can, you know, get yourself cleaned up and everything so that one day you could sit in a room among all your vices and just say no to them, right? If you think that that's actually possible, you're fooling yourself here this morning. The mark of a mature Christian is that you've gotten to the point where you don't even want that stuff anymore. You just want to stay as far away because you know what that stuff brings. You know that sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And that's why he says to flee. Just get away from it as far as you can. And that's when God can actually start to grow in you. And there's nothing to be ashamed of to recognize where that sin is that easily besets you and get as far away from that thing as possible. Do everything you can need to do in your life to get that thing as far away as possible. And Follow it in God's word because that's what you and I need to do. Otherwise, we're fooling ourselves and we're doing all this in vain. And so if you've humbled yourself and you're dealing honestly with your sin, and these are our daily things. I'm not saying you do this one day, pray a prayer, and then it's done. This is every day. Like I said, Paul said he dies daily. Well, now we're ready to start actually growing in grace. And how do we do that? Well, turn with me to John chapter 15. Turn with me to John chapter 15. This might sound a little anticlimactic to some of you after all of this, but John chapter 15, because truly the way that we grow, with, grow in grace is we live these verses in John chapter 15, verses four and five. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me, for without me, ye can do nothing. You wanna grow 
in Jesus Christ. You've got to humble yourself. You've got to deal honestly with your sin. And why do we do all those things? So that we can just come to God and say, God, just use me. Just get into his word. Abide in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Bible says in verse 10, he says, If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. You just abide in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ will start bringing fruit out of your life. Will start bringing fruit out of your life. Go to the book of, uh, book of Psalms. Go to Psalm chapter 1. Go to Psalm chapter 1. Abide in Jesus Christ. Get his words in you and just let him bear fruit in your life. Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. This is what the Bible says in Psalm 1. Beautiful chapter. He said, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You know, God says about that man that just gets himself into God's word and just delights himself in the law of the Lord, meditates in it day and night, likens to him that tree planted by rivers of water. And look what it says there in verse 3. It says, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. I don't see much, much work that the tree is doing here, other than the fact that the tree is just planted in the rivers of water. But that fruit's coming. That fruit's coming. Jesus said, abide in me. You can't do anything without me. Just abide in me. And that's how you're going to bear fruit. And a lot of us want to make it a little bit more complicated than that because we feel like, what about the work of the ministry? What about all those verses about labor? What are we talking about there? I got to to get out there. I got to do the work. Yeah, but think about it. If you've done all the work humbling yourself and keeping yourself clean, by the time you get to God, you know what he's actually going to be able to do? He's actually going to be able to get his will out of you. He's actually going to be able to start working. You're, you're going to be like that tree that's just bearing fruit. You're not even going to realize it, but you're going to be growing in grace, and that fruit's going to start coming out. Because this tree here that I see planted, I don't see much work on its part other than it's just planted in those rivers of water. you got to make that decision to humble yourself and come to God, but let God work. And that's when you'll know that it's God working in you. You still don't believe me. Think about this. If, let's say that you are sober as can be, if you started to go to the bar every day after work and started hanging around people that do the same thing, how long until you think you'd become an alcoholic? How long? And how much work did you go there purposing, oh, I'm going to do it, I'm going to get myself addicted, I'm going to become an alcoholic? No, you just showed up at the wrong place at the wrong time around the wrong people, and next thing you know, oh, wow, now I'm starting to do all these things I wasn't doing before. If you... I don't even know how many people do this anymore, but if you and your coworker, if you went with your coworkers every time they went on a smoke break 
and you sat with them on a smoke break and you started smoking cigarettes and you just watched them smoke, eventually you would start smoking with them. You'd start developing their habits, right? That's what happens. We're, we, we, we'd like to think that we are, you know, just the products of ourselves and speaking our own truth and everything. But really, you know, they, they say that we're the product of uh, the average of the five people that we spend the most time with. I mean, you and I really aren't that special. We start to adapt about the people that we're around. You know, the Bible, but the Bible says that iron sharpeneth iron. So if I know that those things can get me in a bad way and start getting me in some bad habits that are bad for my health, bad for my testimony, well, then you know something? If I can actually start getting into around God's people and getting around the book and I'm around my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, if I get around God, isn't he going to start working through me? Isn't he going to start doing those things? And so when you, you say to yourself, well, what about the work? What about what, what all these things I got to do? Just get it in God's word and let God's grace Grow, grow in God's grace and let God's fruit grow through you. Go down to uh, in Ephesians chapter two. We're gonna finish here. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. We went here before, but let's keep Ephesians chapter two, verses uh, eight and nine here. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And now in verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You're created in Jesus Christ unto good works, but where does it start? It starts with grace. It starts with grace. That's where he says grow in grace. The works will come, but please grow in grace. Turn to another one in the book of uh, Titus. Book of Titus. You'll see a lot in uh, your New Testament, Paul will be talking about the ministry, talking about labor. And if you look a couple of verses before, somewhere in there, a lot of times, the word grace is mentioned because it starts with grace. It starts with grace. And like right here in Titus uh, chapter 2, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. The Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify, him, purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous, of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise it. Wow. It's all right there. It's all right there. The grace of God bringing salvation, that denying of yourself, and then at the very end, at the end of 14, zealous of good works. Zealous of good works. But we like to start at the end. We like to start at the end. Because a lot of times we say, oh, if I do all these things, I'll look the part, Right? And yeah, you might look the part, but it's going to be eye service. It's going to be will worship. And you can be zealously affected, but not in a good way. Yeah. Right? So we got, to, we got to remember that. That Pharisee, he was doing things that on the surface looked like good things, but it wasn't coming from the right place. It wasn't coming from the right place. Let's, so let's finish here. And I've uh, got two more stops. Thank you for your attention this morning. We've got two more stops. Book of 2 Timothy. Just turn one, uh, one book over. 2 Timothy and chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4. <clears throat> 2 
2 Timothy chapter 4. These are powerful. Uh, this is powerful here. I mean, you just study the life of Paul, and uh, you see that he lived what we're talking about here this morning. And in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Bible says in verse 6, he says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. This is Paul at the end of his ministry. At the end of his ministry. This is what he says in verse 7. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto, also, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Remember where we started this morning in Second Peter, and we talked in 3.18, and the context of that chapter is getting ready for people, for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, here's Paul at the end of his days, knowing that he's going to have that crown waiting for him because he was looking forward to that day, and he could say with confidence, this isn't his pride talking, we're going to see that in a second, and we saw in Philippians chapter 3, he could say with confidence, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Don't you want that? Don't you want to be able to say that with confidence? I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I've kept the faith. I want to say that, and I can say that. Paul said it, why can't I say it? Why do, why, do, why do we do this where we compare ourselves to other people and say like, oh, they, if only so-and-so, if only so-and-so. Listen, I know just from the, the time spent putting this message together, I don't know how, I, I swear, our pastor has an eighth day somewhere that he goes to where he has this bubble of time where he's able to do all these things and come back because it feels like that because just in putting this message together, the amount of time you got to spend in studying things out and everything and just that he can bring, you know, the Thursday, the Sunday, and he's not just reading bullets. I mean, he's getting deep into God's word and he's feeding us and he's got his family. He had Christian going through leukemia for the last couple of years. I mean, like the brother uh, Mike Murphy said, you know, we don't try to lift anybody up on a pedestal, but if anybody deserved a vacation this week, it was our pastor, Pat Mashani. I thank God for everything that he's done. But as I study this stuff, stuff out, I look at the apostle Paul, you know what I realize is that this is a man, our pastor lives. He lives this book. He lives by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he'll be the first one to say it, that it's not him, but it's God working through him. He just gives himself and lets God, lets, uh, God work. And he'll tell any one of us, it's not about him. You and I could all just have that same victory and have that same manifestation of fruit in our lives if we would just obey what God tells us to do. And we could say with confidence here, like Paul does, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And let's turn to the last verse here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 because I want to know. I want to know, Paul. How could you say that? How did you get there, Paul? I want to know. And I thank God that in his word, he doesn't hide stuff from us. You know, he's given us his word, that he, we might know the certainty of the words of truth. He just, he, if you just come to it, he'll give it to you. He'll give it to you. And so Paul gives us, you know, people have that, you know, five points for doing this and how to be, how to be successful in this and what you need to do. And if you want to have a good diet, the things you got to do. And this is Paul, just, this, is, this is what he tells us. This is the, if you want to talk about the secret to Paul's success in his Christian life and why he was able to say what he said in uh, 2 Timothy, it's right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Starting in verse 9, he says, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, that I'm not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. 
was not in vain. What a testimony to have. Like the grace of God was not bestowed upon me in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Don't worry about the works if you haven't done the work of just humbling yourself, getting yourself clean, just abiding in Jesus Christ, abiding in his word, and letting the grace of God. He says it wasn't him. It was the grace of God which was with me. Paul had to learn that it was God's grace that was sufficient for him. Is it sufficient for you this morning? Are you growing in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Paul did. I want to have this testimony. I want to have this testimony. It's all by the grace of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day, Lord. Lord, I thank you again just for uh, your grace, Lord. We don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. Lord, I don't deserve to even be here and to be used of you, Lord. But I thank you, Lord, for your grace, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that perfect example to follow. Lord, help us, Lord, just to get to know you.